0: Matthew 26, where we're going to read from verse 17 to verse 29, before we read from Article 35 of the Belgic Confession. And before we do that, let's seek the Lord's face and favor in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, your word opened before us. We now ask for a blessing on what, Lord, for so many is but ink on paper, but to us is the very living word the revelation of your grace the declaration of your love the wonder of your goodness in jesus christ may we be given eyes to see and ears to hear may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we may indeed O heavenly god and father stand in awe of your grace in jesus christ that we may know the hope to which we've been called And what are the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? We pray all of these things, heavenly God and Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Then Matthew 26 at verse 17, hear the word of God. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then to our forms and prayers books, page 193. 193, 194, 95 page 193. And our Trinity Psalter hymnals, you can turn to page 868. It is a bit of a lengthy article on the Lord's Supper. It is the last but two of the Belgic Confession. So Lord willing, after this Lord's Day, so uh, February 12th should bring us to the end of our study of the belgian confession in february 19 lord willing we'll start the heidelberg Catechism again but now we'll read article 35 we believe and confess that our lord jesus or that our savior jesus christ has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the holy supper to nourish and sustain those who are already born again and engrafted into his family his church now those who are born again have two lives in them the one is physical and temporal They have it from the moment of their first birth, and it's common to all. The other is spiritual and heavenly and is given them in their second birth. It comes through the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ, and this life is common to God's elect only. Thus, to support the physical and earthly life, God has prescribed for us an appropriate earthly and material bread, which is as common to all as life itself also is. But to maintain the spiritual and heavenly life that belongs to believers— he has sent a living bread that came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and maintains the spiritual life of believers when eaten, that is, when appropriated, appropriated and received spiritually by faith. To represent us, to us rather, to represent to us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ is instituted in an earthly and visible bread as the sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. He did this to testify to us, that just as truly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink it in our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and the mouth of our souls. Now it is certain that Jesus Christ did not prescribe his sacraments for us in vain, since he works in us all he represents by these holy signs, Although the manner in which he does it goes beyond our understanding and is incomprehensible to us, just as the operation of God's Spirit is hidden and incomprehensible. Yet we do not go wrong when we say that what is eaten is Christ's own natural body, and what is drunk is his own blood. But the manner in which we eat it is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. In that way, Jesus Christ always or remains always seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven but he never refrains on that account to communicate himself to us through faith. This banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. At that table he makes us enjoy himself as much as the merits of his suffering and death as he nourishes, strengthens and comforts our poor desolate souls by the eating of his flesh and relie- relieves and renews them by the drinking of his blood. Moreover, though through the or though the sacraments and the thing signified our joined together not all receive both of them the wicked person certainly takes the sacrament to his condemnation but does not receive the truth of the sacrament just as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament but not Christ who is signified by it he is communicated only to believers finally with humility and reverence we receive the holy sacrament in the in, in the gathering of God's people as we engage together with thanksgiving and holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, and as we thus confess our faith in Christian religion, therefore no one should come to this table without examining himself carefully, lest by eating this bread and drinking this cup he eat and drink to his own judgment. In short, by the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love of God and our neighbors. Therefore, we reject as desecrations of the sacraments all the muddled ideas, and damnable inventions that men have added and mixed in with them. And we say that we should be content with the procedure that Christ and the apostles have taught us and speak of these things as they have spoken of them. This the church does believe. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, our Lord, having considered the sacraments broadly in article 33, and then the sacrament of baptism in article 34, we now take up that second of the two, that of the Lord's Supper, whereby Christ nourishes, sustains, and equips us for service. And we want to remember that in this second sacrament, we don't have a repetition, at least not entirely, of baptism. You might think after hearing what baptism says to us, why would we need anything else? Why would God never ever need to say anything more to us than He's already said in the water of baptism? Because in baptism, God the Father promises us His care, God the Son promises us His saving work, and God the Spirit promises us His sustaining, His sanctifying ministry, and His application of this of the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Once we've heard that, once we've experienced that, once God has said that to us, why would we ever need anything more than that? That is enough to sustain and equip us each and every day of our lives as we face the challenges of life, as we face the burdens of this fallen world. That's enough for us, surely. Why do we need another sacrament? Well, it is certainly true that God doesn't repeat Himself unnecessarily, doesn't stutter in that sense. He gives us the second sacrament, the Lord's Supper, because this is a a different word, a distinct word, a distinct word to those who are born again, to those who are alive in Christ. Remember that baptism is a word that is spoken to all who are born into the covenant, all those who come either by faith or by birth into the covenant. But the Lord's Supper is a discriminating sacrament. It is spoken, or it speaks a word only to those uh, who are as the form itself or as our confession says those who are chosen unto eternal life and it speaks of the sustenance it speaks of the nourishment of that life that the lord works in us by his holy spirit and that's a reminder to us that we are called by god to to live to to expend energy to be active in our spiritual walk with him that just as when we're sick and upon our sickbed and And don't expend much energy and so don't feel very hungry, don't want to eat very much. So too after a day of hard labor, after we've been in the fields or after we've been playing sports or whatever, we we come home, we're famished, we we have a hearty appetite because of all the energy we've expended. So too the Lord's Supper reminds us that as Christians we are to be busy with the work of our God and we are to come to the table of our Lord hungry, hungering and thirsting for what only the Lord can provide. For only the Lord can truly sustain our spiritual lives. That's the first thing we want to note about the catechism or the confessions, rather, te- teaching on the question of the Lord's Supper. We're obviously not going to read all of the various paragraphs again. But in the opening four paragraphs, the Lord uh, or the confession teaches us that the Lord has given us the Lord's Supper to nourish, to sustain the spiritual aspect, the spiritual lives unique to those who are born again, unique to to those who have been chosen by God and who by faith are united to Jesus Christ, engrafted into Him. There's a lot, of course, in those four paragraphs that is worth our reflecting on, is, would be worth discussing, and there's a lot to process there, but we want to just, for a moment, just note a number of things to establish that this is the case, that the Lord's Supper is given to sustain, to maintain the spiritual aspect of our lives. It is described, for example, as a nourishing and sustaining sac- sacrament. Nourishing, it is like food. It is what gives our strength, gives our souls, gives our spirits strength. It is worth noting that that's also why we see this sacrament as belonging only to those who have professed a genuine, a credible faith. Not everyone is a, allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper. Not everyone is is in that sense permitted to come to the table, only those who have demonstrated that they are genuinely born again and engrafted into Christ. Again, already a distinction from baptism, which is the sacrament of entrance. This is the sacrament of sustenance. And this nourishing, this this sustaining ministry of the sacrament equips and builds us up as we worship, as we serve, as we love as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we do the things that we are called to do as Christians in this world. That spiritual reality that we receive by God in His grace. Our spiritual lives, you know, are not created through some physical event. They are not created by dad and mom in the same way we might say that dad and mom had a hand in the creation of our physical lives. You no, know, our spiritual reality, our spiritual lives, are brought forth by a spiritual event, by the work of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word, as our confession reminds us. Not something, of course, that everyone experiences. It's not just a matter of hearing the Word preached. It is receiving that Word with power, as Paul says to the Thessalonians. It's it's drinking deeply of that cup of grace. That Word brings life into the hearts of those whom God has chosen unto eternal life, And they believe in that precious, that new life of which Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. You remember that being born again, that precious spiritual life, like our physical lives, grows and develops and is in need of sustenance. We need to feed our babies when they are born. We need to feed our children every day. We need to nourish and sustain their physical lives. We read a lot of things about what is healthy for them, what will help their development, what do they need for good bone and brain and nerve development, all these different ideas and studies. We read these things up because we want our children to grow into mature, physical, strong people. Well, so it is with our spiritual life. So it is ought to be with our spiritual lives. We need what what only can sustain, what can give strength to that spiritual reality. And what we've been given, says the confession, is that bread from heaven. Not manna. Not even the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, by the way. Not even that sustains us. It is rather the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. He who came in the flesh so that in the body He might bear our judgment. Whose sacrifice was the fle- is His flesh. His life is in the flesh. And that life is that resurrected life, that life that now lives, that blood that now beats through His body continually, even now, coursing through His veins as He sits at His Father's right hand. That life is life. It is the sustaining life. It is the eternal life for God's people. And we need that life in us. That's why in the Old Testament there were so many of those examples of priests eating the meal, the sacrificial meal, with the congregants. They would come with their lamb or with their bull and part of it would be put on the altar but part of it would be consumed there would be a fellowship meal there would be an eating together of that sacrifice you need what that sacrifice alone can provide to be internalized to be inside of you to be united to it indeed it is this nourishing this engrafting this life sustaining power that is represented to us in the sacrament in the bread and the wine, which are pictures of Jesus Christ's body and blood, but they are more than that. They are, they are the seal of God's faithfulness to us, assuring us that that very life is now ours, who by faith lay hold of the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. Now we need to, we need to recognize just how important then the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is for our spiritual well-being the lord has given us this sacrament for this purpose and having given it to us he expects us to approach that sacrament in the same way he expects us to desire he expects us to long for this food this drink that we need we don't want to fill our bodies our physical bodies with that which is unhealthy with junk food which might, of course, satisfy our physical needs, might make us no longer hungry, but very quickly we realize that what we've done is a mistake. No, we want to eat what is good. We want to eat what dad and mom or what mom prepares for us. That healthy food that she makes so that we'll be strong. Healthy food, that's what we want. Spiritually, we're no different. Spiritually, we may look look for sustenance in other places. We may look for help in other areas. But the Lord has given us this table and he's given us this bread and wine, saying to us, here, here is where I give you strength. Here is where I nourish your spirituality. And here is where I sustain your walk with me. Now that does already remind us that our relationship with the Lord is not just on or off, yes or no, black or white. Sometimes we think of being a Christian that way. We say, well, I'm a Christian. And that's all there's to it. But it isn't. There's not, that, there's not all this to it. A Christian is just like a, like a baby who grows. Indeed, the Bible speaks that way. We are encouraged by the Apostle Peter to, to crave uh, pure spiritual milk like newborn babes, he says. And then Paul to the Corinthians says, Hey, hey I expect you guys to be eating meat, to eat solid food. I, I fed you milk when you were young in the flesh or in the faith. And now I exp- you should be eating meat at this point, but you're not. And there's a problem. You haven't developed. You haven't grown in your spirituality. The Scripture presents the spiritual life of a believer as something that grows and develops and matures. And what is it that we need in order to grow and develop and mature as those who are born again in Jesus Christ? Do we need some kind of spiritual high do we need some kind of experience that's going to make us all excited what what does god give us to encourage to equip to sustain us in the walk of this life where we're called we're called daily to live for the lord called daily to love our neighbor as ourselves called daily to live in the gratitude of salvation where we daily need strength to fulfill the demands that the lord has placed upon us where has the lord provided the food for that the answer is in the lord's supper this is the sign and the seal of our spiritual nourishment. And not only it's not the only way that the Lord nourishes us, but it is certainly His gift to us that we might be encouraged along the way. And so we need to ask, as we begin our study of the Lord's Supper here in Article 35 of the Belgian Confession, if this is how we see the Lord's Supper, if this is how we approach this sacrament of grace, do we see it as a place for us to get fed? Do we see it as a meal which can sustain our spiritual lives as as a place where we can be strengthened and equipped in order to do the work that we're called to do as Christians? Essentially, do we need the Lord's Supper? Is that something we need? Do we need this encouragement? Do we need this bread and wine? Do we need this grace? Are we growing spiritually? Are we exercising our spiritual lives in such a way that we hunger and thirst after this food because of our need to serve God? This is, in, uh, 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 this is in, in the end, the challenge that we face every time we have the Lord's Supper. This is the implication in this uh, that we need to recognize. Because by giving us the Lord's Supper, by putting it in front of us so frequently, uh, God essentially is saying to us, don't you see you need it? Or maybe even maybe a little more uh, truthfully, we should admit we forget too often our desperate need of God's grace to sustain us as individuals, as Christians, as parents, as spouses, as servants, as, as employers, employees, as leaders in the church. It, it, it matters not. Too, too often, we, especially because we've been so blessed by the Lord, so sustained by His grace, we begin to believe it's our own strength that is able to do these things. It's our own ability that equips us to handle all of the burdens, all of the challenges of life We forget that it is only by the grace of God, only by the sustaining mercy of the Son that we are able to do what it is that we're called to do. We forget just how much we need God's grace. We forget it in our doubts and in our fears. We forget it in our familiarity and in our complacency. But every time we have the Lord's Supper, every time we see the table at the front of the service, every time we read the preparatory exhortation, the Lord's Supper is reminding us, no, 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 you can't do this on your own. You need to drink from life-giving waters lest you become a dead branch and a fruitless branch in the kingdom of our lord so that's the first thing that we see in this uh, article on the lord's supper but it's not the only thing not only do we see our requirement our need for this nourishment we also are taught how it is that we're to receive this nourishment after all it seems like a lot a lot for a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine to sustain us, to fill us, to nourish and equip our spiritual selves, how can a bit of bread and a bit of wine possibly do that? And indeed, that has been a question that the church has wrestled with throughout her history. The church has long wanted to understand exactly the, the mechanism, you might say, the, the blessing of, um, of the Lord's Supper. How do we come uh, to receive what is given in this bread and this wine to us well the mystery of the sacrament says the author of the confession is the mystery of the holy spirit's ministry instead of trying to either dismiss the lord's supper as merely a mental exercise which is what happens on the one side of this debate and not willing to explain in some fancy philosophical logical way in which the lord's supper becomes the body and blood of jesus christ which is what happens on the other debate you either you either say the lord's supper is just a spiritual exercise or you say that it's transubstantiation or consubstantiation it's this magical wonderful remarkable experience not willing to say either the author of our confession says the mystery of the sacrament is that the spirit communicates into our souls The very body and blood of Jesus Christ through the bread and the wine in remembrance of Him. Now notice, it is through the bread and the wine in remembrance of Him. That is, you can't do without the sacrament. You can't do without the bread and the wine. But it isn't the bread and the wine that that work in us this grace. Oh no, says the author, rightly so. It is a mystery, hidden and incomprehensible, in the same way that the Spirit's ministry is hidden and incomprehensible. Indeed, don't we so often struggle with that because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's so mysterious to us. Just think about our coming to faith, our being believers. Because when we come to faith, which we know the Word of God teaches is a consequence of the Spirit's working in our lives, we don't become believers and then get the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit and then become believers. And having been made to believe, Did you notice the Spirit working in you? Did you notice His moving your heart? Did you experience that in some odd way? Or did you just hear the Gospel and say, that's what I believe? Did you just learn about Jesus Christ at home from Dad and Mom? And Dad and Mom taught you all that you needed to know about Jesus, and you said, I believe in that. I believe in that. My heart believes in that. My spirit believes in that. My mind believes in that. I believe in that. But did you not feel the Spirit of God working a a work not less glorious than the work of creation? No, you say, I didn't didn't, didn't feel that at all. I just just believed. See, that's the thing, isn't it? The Spirit is so mysterious in His work that sometimes we cannot distinguish between what He's doing and what we're doing. We don't know where His work ends and ours begins if there is even such a place that's how mysterious that's how incomprehensible the spirit's work is it's so wonderful that we can at one and the same time say it's the spirit in me and it is me too i love the lord but it is the spirit who's given me to love the lord in the same way in just as mysterious a way when you eat the bread and the wine by faith you know again that's that's the key isn't it by faith When Jesus holds out as He did to His disciples, as we read in Matthew 26, when He holds out the bread to you and says, this is My body, you are now confronted with a question. Are you going to take hold of Jesus' body or are you going to just take hold of a piece of bread? Do you need a piece of bread in order to serve in God's kingdom and church? Or do you need the body of Christ in order to be equipped spiritually? What are you going to reach for? If you reach for the body of Christ, If when the plate in our congregation is passed, you take a piece of bread because you need Jesus Christ at work within your soul, you're confessing your faith in that moment, when by faith you take the bread, when you by faith take the cup, saying, I need the blood of Jesus, I need my sins forgiven, I need His Spirit at work within my heart. When you take the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper by faith, then the Spirit works in your life in such a way that you receive not bread and wine, but the very, the natural, says the confession, body and blood of Jesus Christ. You receive, you are given, the Lord's Supper communicates to you the very life force, the very strength of Jesus Christ. You are more uniquely and completely united to Him and He to you. That is the wonder of the Lord's Supper. That when we participate in it, we receive Jesus Christ Himself. Not just the symbol, not just the picture, the authentic, the real, the genuine article. We are given Christ. When Jesus holds out His hand to us, He asks, do you you believe Me? And when we say yes and take hold of that by faith, and He communicates through his work, the work of His Holy Spirit such rich blessings that, that, that we cannot find a table as, as wealthy, as richly outlaid, as remarkable as the table of the Lord's Supper. And that ought to already cause us to celebrate the privilege of being included among the company of those who are able to participate even as it ought to again challenge us To come to the table by faith. Because it's not ritual that we need. It's not just going through the motions that blesses us. There is a blessing in that, of course. But that's not enough of a blessing. You don't need to just be reminded, just be told something. It's not mere remembrance that you need. Yes, you need to remember and believe. But it's not just remembrance. It's remembrance and faith. Indeed, it's not even your own faith that is so relevant in this celebration of God's saving work, it is what you're believing in, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He alone has won the victory over sin and death. He alone who can sustain us as He ministers to us from God's very right hand. He seals to us this grace by the sacrament, putting it in our hands, putting it in our mouths, and saying, as surely as you've eaten, so surely have you received me through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's how we are to receive the Lord's Supper. That is how we are to rejoice at the Lord's Supper's provision. We are to see it as a rich gift of God's grace, unequal in this world, but of such precious and powerful grace that it sustains and equips us to live each day for the Lord. Indeed, isn't that exactly why the Apostle Paul was so concerned about the wayward celebrations in the Corinthian congregation? You remember that in the Corinthian congregation, things were a little bit sideways, including on matters of the Lord's Supper. It was hardly the Lord's Supper anymore that they were were celebrating. It was not the body and blood of Jesus Christ that they were longing for. It was this, this social event, this place where some went ahead of others and others prove their worth by receiving more. And Paul reminds them, indeed, as we hear every time we have the preparatory exhortation, what, uh, that we are to examine ourselves. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats the drink, and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And then Paul says, we stop there in our form. But Paul carries on and he says this, this is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You say, wait a second, what are you saying, Paul? What are you saying? Because they're not celebrating the Lord's Supper right, they get sick, they die. That is exactly what Paul's saying. That is exactly what he's saying. That is that the Lord was warning them in the external form, in the physical form, of their desperate need of grace. And they needed to heed that warning. They needed to answer that call. It's not only true physically, it can also be true spiritually, can't it? So often in our own spiritual walk with the Lord, we find ourselves weak, ill, and even dying. Because so often our spirituality becomes routine. It becomes mere custom. We face the temptation, don't we? Even as strong covenantal community, multi-generational church, we find the temptation to make Jesus and living for Jesus just a set of rules and of activities that we do or don't do. That's not what we do. That's what we do and when it comes to to living for Jesus it is to be a an offering of our hearts a giving of our lives a surrender of our being in its totality to the praise and worship of our God which means we cannot be content with mere participation in either the sacrament of baptism or in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper it's not enough to just experience it to say I've been baptized or I have eaten the bread and drank the wine it's not enough for us to, to say, I've, got, I've done what I'm supposed to. That empty spirituality, that apathetic and lazy spirituality that says it's enough that you showed up and nothing need more be done, is a lie from the serpent. It is a lie to those who, who know Jesus Christ. Being, being a Christian is, is more than just riding the chairlift at a ski resort where the beginning's a bit bit of a dicey bit situation we get a little bit excited and then once you're seated you just carry on upward I mean just think about think about what we just confessed for a moment and ask yourself this the last time you had the lord's supper did you realize did you confess did you understand that you ate the natural body and drank his own blood when you received the bread and the wine my guess is probably not probably not and in part we don't think that because you don't think you need that level of intimacy that level of oneness with jesus we may have been living with a six foot separation from jesus long before covid we may have had said you know jesus is there he can do his thing that's good but don't don't go messing my life up don't go taking over my existence don't go giving or commanding me to give myself totally over to you that's what the lord's supper demands of us every time we come every time we come the lord says this is what you need this is what you are given in the lord's supper this is how you must receive it by faith by faith that you might live in praise to him and that you may walk in a way that is godly in a way that is consistent with your calling as a Christian, this to the Lord's Supper presses upon us. It not only teaches us our need for this grace, it shows us how we are to live in light of this grace and to receive this grace. But it teaches us uh, one more thing. We're going to jump to the end of the Belgian Confessions treatment on the Lord's Supper and note the respect, our respect that we are to have for this sacrament, because this is again A challenge for us, especially in the culture in which we live, especially in a world where the church, the broad evangelical church and the Christian church generally, tends to welcome everybody, tends to say to everybody, hey, we're happy you're here. We think you belong here. We want you to participate in every aspect of our service, including in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And now you come into this church or guests come into our church, even our own members who are taught and trained for many years before they can participate in the Lord's Supper and are expected to make public profession of faith before they can participate in the Lord's Supper. You come into this congregation and you all of a sudden meet a very different approach to things. The elders of the church are called to guard the Lord's table, to fence it, as we say, and uh, to say, therefore, at least theoretically, at least potentially, any Sunday when we have Lord's Supper and a guest's come, the consistory could say to this one, no, no, we don't, we don't know if you are indeed born again. We don't know if you are united to Jesus Christ. We don't know that you can receive this bread and the wine in remembrance of Him. And in a world such as ours, where offending anyone is not allowed, that becomes a very difficult task. For dare we say to anyone who desires to participate, no. And, and how do we understand that then? How do, we, how do we make sense of that? We don't want to belong to a church that's unwelcoming. but Neither do we want to belong to a church where the gospel is so watered down that it has no significance for those who are walking in unholy practices. Indeed, what if our fencing of the Lord's table is less about the one requesting to participate and more about the one who invites us to this celebration. Just think again of that story of Achan back in Joshua. You remember the story after the city of Jericho has been defeated. You remember that Achan stole some things despite God's having been very clear that's not allowed. He did it anyway. And then you'll remember that the people couldn't defeat the city of Ai and Joshua came before the Lord and the Lord says, hey, what are you doing bowing on your face before me? What's all this this complaining about? Listen, you got sin in the camp, man. Go get it out. Root it out. And then I will bless you. And that had nothing so much to do with Achan or Joshua or the people, but the God who is holy, 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 who has redeemed a people for the purpose of holiness for the purpose of walking in fellowship with Him. Not perfectly, not perfectly. None of us is perfect. That's why we come for the bread and the wine. That's why we come acknowledging our need of grace. Everybody that participates in the Lord's Supper must participate by saying, I'm not a a perfect person. I'm a sinner in need of this grace. But if we come to the Lord's Supper refusing to live, consciously choosing to rebel, persistently walking contrary to the way of the lord and we eat and drink judgment unto ourselves because there jesus christ does not add his blessing but adds his condemnation just as rich as the supper is for the one who participates by faith so terrifying the supper ought to be for those who are living in sin because there the lord does not bestow mercy but condemnation and how we approach the lord's supper will demonstrate our our understanding of this reality again if you think of of those who think the lord's supper is just a picture just a mental exercise just a a a reminder well why shouldn't the unbeliever be reminded why shouldn't the guest let everybody be reminded let kids be reminded everybody be reminded take the bread take the, the, the the wine or the grape juice You should be reminded Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus' blood has been shed. Why not? It's just a reminder. It's just a mental exercise. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, so what? It's a mental exercise. And so let everybody come. Or over here on the other side where you have this mechanistic approach to things where it just has to be said. You say the right words, and abracadabra, the body of blood in Jesus Christ is given to you. And it doesn't matter either, does it? Let everybody line up. Let everybody receive the the wafer. Let everybody be given the host. But what what if Jesus Christ truly communicates Himself? What if Jesus Christ really sustains believers? What if Jesus Christ comes into the heart of those who are born again, those in whom the Holy Spirit is making a dwelling, those in whom Jesus Christ takes up residence? What if that's really and truly experienced? by God's people when they participate in the Lord's Supper. And now imagine that this church would have let, knowingly, I mean, there's always people unknowingly that participate in the Lord's Supper that shouldn't, where people lie, they're hypocrites, they're dishonest. Not everybody can be weeded out. But now imagine that the consistory knowingly receives someone who's unbelieving or living in sin or something like that. Where Jesus Christ is not indwelling, where the Spirit of God is not making a home, And we say, now come, come and sit at the table of the thrice holy God. Sit at the table of the judge of heaven and earth. Come forward and stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords. What's going to happen to that sinner? What's going to happen to that unbeliever? What's not going to go well? Instead, we ought to restrain them. Instead, we ought to say, listen, the most holy king commands you to repent and believe before you can come. You need to know your need of this Savior. You need to cry out for mercy. You need to come in faith. That they might genuinely join with us in celebrating God's grace. Being being sincere, being genuine, being honest about the gospel isn't about condemning people. It's about lifting them up that they might come and believe in Jesus Christ. The wicked come carelessly and refuse to admit their need of this grace or the preciousness of the blessing. And such people are not fed at all they are condemned and that's why we ought to always ensure as much as we're able graciously with gentleness with understanding we're not perfect we understand that too but we ought to warn we ought to remind and always encourage everyone who participates in the lord's supper come in humility come having reflected on your need for this grace come having reminded yourself of how great your savior is how much you need this Savior. Come ready to receive grace so that you can live for the Lord. And that is the standard. That is the respect that we ought to show this nourishment that the Lord provides. Because we as a church ought to be faithful to the command of Jesus Christ. We are to be thankful for the gift of this grace. And we are to guard the table of our Lord so that we might know the wonderful mercy and love of God in Jesus Christ. We have such a deep and profound need of this grace. We so daily need to draw from that strength that it provides, the provision that Jesus Christ works in our hearts and lives. We need this grace each and every day. And so we are to forever remember what it is that the Lord is saying to us in the table of the Lord's Supper. We are to be encouraged by the grace that He provides and promises, even as we receive it by faith. And we are to do that out of the respect that we have for this Savior, our Lord and King. Let's ask Him for that help, or help for that in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this gift of the Lord's Supper that You've given to us. We thank You that we can feast, not just upon bread and wine, upon the body and blood of jesus christ we thank you that this is so great a gift that we are drawn more deeply into him and he into us and that we are equipped for service we pray that you would help us to come to the table with such eagerness help us to see its preciousness its power help us to long for the grace that it provides knowing that you are faithful and that you who signify and seal these blessings to us will satisfy our souls by your grace And so bless us, Heavenly God and Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Then, in response,